0: What is up, everybody? Thank y'all for joining me on the latest broadcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh apologize for the long gap in podcasts here. I was a little ill last week, so I really didn't feel like recording, but now I am back. And uh, a good thing about this, because there's some things to talk about here, um, I'm going to address the game last night, uh, as of this recording. It was the... Uh, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks coming to Denver, and the Denver beat the Bucks. in um, a good game. Uh, really close the entire way. Um, I think the largest lead was by the Bucks, and I think that was like 13 points. Um, and then the Nuggets went on a, with the bench, weirdly, went on a 15-0 uh, run. Um, and uh, the game was nip-tuck. After that, and this was actually the uh, debut of uh, Glenn Doc Rivers as the coach of the of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. So the the Bucks definitely looked a little different, but I think they were just playing a little harder than they had the rest of the year. I mean, the Bucks are a good team. Uh, the Bucks are a uh, are uh, a team that's loaded with talent, and as you saw last night. Um, Brooke Lopez hit, what, six three-pointers, I think, five, five three-pointers or something like that, and he ended up with 19 points, um, and 15 of those were on three-point shots. So, you know, in 2013, if you would have thought Brooke Lopez would be a three-point sniper, uh, you probably would have won a lot of money because he did not shoot any three-pointers back then, particularly when he was on the nets. But... um. What you see now is something that I've, all, I've wanted to talk about all year, and I think, I think this is something that I, any Nuggets fan has probably observed, is that the Nuggets have entered their 2001 Lakers phase, And that is, they tend to you can always tell the opponents they care about. There's two real games that I want to point out here. and they're edifying. In this terms, because the Nuggets won last night against the Bucks, and I'll get to the the Nuggets game versus the Sixers from a couple days ago. Obviously, there is something we want to address with that, and I will be getting to that. But as far as these games go, um, the gun at the Celtics a couple weeks ago, uh, I addressed that on this podcast, and. Uh, last night's game against the Bucks, You could tell the Nuggets were using these games as measuring sticks. The Nuggets came into these games playing it like they would in the playoffs. And it's very edifying to know this, okay? Because the Nuggets approached these games seriously. They took the game seriously from the jump. Well, in the, in the Bucks game, they got themselves behind the eight ball in the first quarter, but they reeled the Bucks in really quick. The um, Bucs have some issues, too, so but that, that I don't know if necessarily that played a big part of it, but you could tell the Nuggets were like, okay, we're taking this seriously, we're going to play hard all game. Same thing with the Celtics game. The Celtics came were the best team in the Eastern Conference and hadn't lost a home game before that, and the Nuggets came in and were like, we're, we're taking this seriously, we're going to be... We're going in that. That was another good game. And you could tell both teams were taking it seriously. And this is something that I think, as Nuggets fans, we're going to have to get used to. Um, I've seen it. I have seen enough basketball to identify it, but I think a lot of Nuggets fans who are significantly younger than me, uh, which is probably the majority of dedicated Nuggets fans are significantly younger than me, um, need to get used to because there are things that championship teams do that are frustrating um, that don't necessarily line up with the aesthetic way of winning um, and unlike say like the night the, 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 the 92 bulls the 91 92 bulls are the exception to what I think is a general rule about teams that are coming off a championship year uh, especially if they're good enough and stay together long enough to win. The 91 92 Bulls are the best team I ever saw. And I think that is probably followed by, I'd say, the 2001 Lakers and then maybe the, oh, maybe the, 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 uh, any of the two Durant Warriors teams. Um, you could make those interchangeable, and you could probably put one of those you know, up to there. But, I mean, the, the late 90s Bulls were uh, – my contention is the late 90s Bulls were not as good as the first three championships. Um, the league was, by the time those three championships came, was extremely diluted um, with – Overexpansion. expansion The NBA had expanded way too much. And by the time you got to the second expansion in 95, the talent pool in the NBA was just depleted beyond all recognition. And it really, the quality of play went down dramatically. And the Bulls were the beneficiaries. And obviously they had Rodman and all that. But anyway, but no, I digress. The 91-92 the Bulls is, were the, the exception to the rule most teams in their second title run and even you could say with the t- 0102 or excuse me 02 2000 2001 Lakers that they they took it seriously but they weren't they were they were really good specifically the the Lakers team was only lost one game through their playoff run um, but they uh took things really seriously but it the most serious I ever saw was the 91-92 Bulls. That's one of the best teams I've ever seen. Um, and I was not a Bulls fan. I mean, it takes a lot for me to say that. I was not a Bulls fan in the 90s. And um, I, I, with the benefit of hindsight, that's probably the best team I've ever seen. Um, but most of the runs, especially if you want to win back-to-back championships, your second title run is not going to be as, as serious. And um, obviously, there is the exception of the 2016 Warriors, which who won 73 games. Uh, that team had some interesting bits of uh, of historical anomalies happening at the same time. There was a ton of tanking teams in 2016. A ton of tanking teams. I would think that the two years in 15, 2014, 15, and 15, 16 probably contained the highest number of tanking teams that we've ever seen led by the example of the process. Uh, a lot of other teams are uh, following that example. There was a ton of terrible teams and usually you need that to have that many wins. Um, another example would be the expansion year um, Chicago Bulls uh, that won 72 games. So all that being said, the Nuggets look like a team that is picking and choosing, and the team that is using certain measuring sticks to get themselves ready for the approach to the playoffs differently than we have seen. Um, And even last year the Nuggets did a little, but this year you can really tell the Nuggets are not putting what you would call their whole ass into things. It's (laughs) it's half-assed, some of it. I hate to say it, but it is, particularly that Knicks game. The Nuggets went into that Knicks game with "I don't want to be here" energy. Um, they clearly it was the last game of the road trip, and they clearly wanted to get out of there. And then Jokic got poked in the eye, and then they lost by thirty-something points. It was it was bad. Um, but this 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 Nuggets team is giving you classic second title run energy. So they are picking and choosing. But the most edifying of these of these losses, you know, there's certain things that you can look at, you know, and, and really glean. Uh, the Nuggets' reliance on youth, you notice in the games that they don't, that they are taking seriously. The, the rotation is shorter, and they play different players. Uh, specifically that Boston game, Christian Brown only played five minutes, um... You know, Peyton Watson's a different story. The management really is behind him, and they really want him to be the, the next I'm-a-genius pick of the Nuggets. So he is going to be featured a lot, and fortunately for the Nuggets management and Nuggets fans, he seems to be rounding into something. There's some potential there. Um, Christian Brown's regressed this year, and you notice his menace fluctuate depending on how good he is. This is t- this typical thing of a young player. So last night against the Bucks, the bench actually, well, believe it or not, the bench came in and really gave the Nuggets something. They gave them uh, a boost that they weren't getting from the starting unit. For some reason, the starters just kind of started off uh, not lethargic, but I think they were a little um, taken aback by the amount of threes that were being hit, particularly by Brook Lopez. And then they reeled them in, and played. It was a great game for the rest of the game. Same thing with the Celtics game, and the Celtics game is probably the most edifying of the uh, of the Nuggets games this year. Um, the way they approached it, the way they saw it, the way they looked at it, it was a game on the road, and the way they 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 really went in with a short rotation, Aaron Gordon at center at the second unit. The ways they did that game was very much what you will see in the playoffs. Those are measuring stick games, and the Nuggets have had two of them. One at home with against the Bucks, and one against the Celtics on the road. And they won both of them. But they were very close games, intense games, playoff atmosphere games. The games that you kind of want to see your team measures yourself up against. And I've noticed that we've, we've kind of struggled with the concept of that sort of thing here in Denver because we're not used to it. Um because the Nuggets have historically been a, a uh, underdog team just th- throughout the history. I mean, the one time they were probably favored for most things was when they were in the ABA. So this is new territory for us. This is not the same old Nuggets. And they are pr- approaching this year the same way any championship team would. And we got to train our minds to this because – Based on what they played against Milwaukee and very specifically against the Celtics um, last week, um, or maybe it was week four, um, the, this is a Nuggets team that really is picking and choosing its spots. Jokic is playing every game, but you're not getting the whole Jokic and everything. And I want to point out, Nikola Jokic... Um you can tell him Jokic is into it when he is getting steals, and I believe Jokic had three steals last night, and he probably should have had four. Um they didn't credit him for one, um, in that chucked up shot that Damian Lillard was doing and trying to get a get a foul call. Um that was actually a steal on Jokic's part. But the Nuggets defense they were playing, and specifically from Jokic, was very edifying and it was probably the most preview like of what you're going to see in the playoffs the way the nuggets will approach that game on defense on offense you're gonna you've seen it with the Celtics game you saw the way they had approach it on offense and the way the nuggets will approach it uh, with the probably the primary bench rotation which is with Aaron Gordon so um, you got those two things that have been the most Probably the most edifying for the playoffs. And what you're going to see the way the Nuggets are going to approach this thing. I think they are less concerned about seeding. Um, The Wolves, you could tell, really want that one seed. Um, They beat the Thunder last night. and The Nuggets, ironically, their next game is against the Thunder. Um, But one thing I want to say before I get to the next segment and we take a break. Um, (laughs) I could tell the Nuggets... Don't fully have their attention on the Thunder and the Wolves. Um, now the Wolves they've only played once, and that was way at the beginning of the season, so we we don't know anything about that. Um, they still got two games left with them, and those are all I don't believe it—not till March. So we've got another month before they play the Wolves again, uh, and they still got three games for three four games against the Blazers. So there's there's this it's been a weird schedule this year, but against the Thunder. You didn't get that playoff atmosphere in any of the games they played against them. And I think they'll take this next game, and when they go to Oklahoma City, very seriously. And I think that will be a their measuring bar for how they're going to play the Thunder, you know, should the Thunder make it there. You know, the Thunder lost last night. They're now in third place. The Nuggets are in second place, which is only a percentage thing. So the Nuggets are going to be, you know, these... The Wolves and, the, and the, the Thunder are really their two main things. And then there's the Clippers, and the Clippers lost to the Cavs last night. So those are probably the main three the Nuggets are going to be paying attention to. So going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach these and how they approach each game and how they really adjust to uh, what's going down with those teams, and I don't think they take the Suns tremendously seriously until we are able to see the Suns in a uh, their final form. They've been so much flux with the Suns, you, you, you won't know yet. So anyway, measuring stick games, this is what we need to be concentrating on and less about the tone of the regular season. So anyway, I'm going to take a break, uh, and before I do that, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazie, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks from Horsfield, around the middle of dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Uh, great pl- location. Uh, I know we're in the uh, dog days of winter, but the weather is fantastic until this weekend. So if you're listening to this on uh, Tuesday, January 30th, get yourself out to Blanchard Family Wines if you're in Denver. Um, have yourself a night. Take a date out there. Um, if you're stopping by a uh, uh, one of the many fine restaurants in lower downtown, stop at flashifying family wines first and, and, and uh, get yourself a nice glass of wine before you go have a nice meal. Uh, they got a location in Fort Collins. It's doing going gangbusters right now, their original location in Sonoma County, California, And of course, they got a private rest, tasting room in Golden, Colorado for private events and things like that. Uh, they, they got great wines. Um, my personal favorite right now is their Pinot, uh, closely followed by the uh, the Cabernet, but you can't go wrong with any of their varietals. They make their own wines, and they've got partnerships with Western Slope wineries. so it's a truly a taste of Colorado. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and & Wazine in Beaufort, lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Joel Embiid. No, no, I think people have actually tried to write an article on this, and I should never try to write things when I'm sick. Um, the uh, there's Embiid once again missed his, his uh, game in Denver, and it was a last-minute scrub. I've always maintained that Joel Embiid just doesn't like playing. If he doesn't need to, he doesn't like playing in Denver. He will, but he doesn't like it. And that manifests itself in him not, basically, if I can miss it and it's not essential to us, I'm not going to play. Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris sat out the game. So there was a lot of factors that were leading towards Joel Embiid inevitably missing the game. The unusual part of this last game, which was on uh, Saturday afternoon in ABC primetime, which no one was happy about that he missed, um, was that he wasn't on the injury report, and the Sixers scrubbed him from the lineup. Uh, I believe it was 25 minutes before tip, and the Nuggets didn't find out about it until Michael Malone says five minutes before tip. But I don't don't necessarily think it was that quickly before tip. Tip, but it was between 25 and you know when tip happened. So. Uh, obviously, there was the howls um, about Joel Embiid, quote-unquote, ducking Nikola Jokic. Um, sorry, Nuggets fans, I don't think Joel Embiid uh, has a very any personal uh, stake in uh, ducking Nikola Jokic in Denver. Uh, I think it's entirely about him and his history with playing in Denver. Um, he In college, he came in, in the famous Eskia Booker half-court almost half-court shot to beat the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, which was a feature Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins. Um, Joel Embiid had fouled out of that game with about, I think, two, three minutes left, maybe a little less, uh, and put up basically zero stats in the second half. wasn't wasn't tremendous. Um, It was his first trip to Boulder. Boulder is six thousand eight feet above sea level. Um, Obviously, you know, Look, it's his first game there. Well, it's it's one of those things, and no one should hold the the Boulder game against him. He's only been played in Colorado three times in. Uh, well, this is 2014. She's 24, and that was 2013, was when they came in. So, uh, it's been 10 years, a little over 10 years. Uh, He came in in 2016 against the Danilo Gallinari, uh, the end of the Danilo Gallinari era, so it was the 16-17 season, Uh, and that was really, truly Joel Embiid's first real season in the NBA. He had missed most of the last two, uh, previous two years because of, you know, various foot injuries and things like that. So he, uh, this was his real first time in, in coming to Denver since his uh, college years, three years before, and uh, he scored 23 points. Um, the big player in that one, as I recall, was Ben Simmons. But Yoke, but he played the whole game, uh, fouled out with uh, less than a minute remaining, Hit hit a, a bunch of he had scored eight points in the fourth quarter. Hit a bunch of free throws, but it wasn't you know it wasn't dominant game. But it was a good game. It was probably it was by far I would say the best game he's ever played in Denver. I think the most edifying, uh, keep using that word, the most uh, illuminating uh, of Embiid's appearances in Denver probably is the 2019 one. Um, he didn't have a great game. Uh, he scored 10 points in the third quarter. That was his standout quarter. He scored 19. Uh, he ends up with four in the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter of that game is, and the end of the third quarter is really the most illuminating part of the Joel Embiid experience in Denver. Uh, I went back and watched as much of that game as I possibly could through highlights and, and game logs and all this stuff. And the decline in, in Embiid's play really begins at the end of the third quarter into the early part of the uh, fourth quarter, and then that continued on into the last part of the fourth quarter. Embiid makes, uh, gets to 15 points by the end of the third quarter, and uh, what the Nuggets started doing is attacking Embiid's side and getting around him a lot. If you watch the highlights, Jokic is is getting and Embiid is losing Jokic on backdoor cuts, and there was one specifically. He would, Jokic was just like wide open, sta- standing under the back basket, and gets get a pass, a pass for him, I think Will Barton, and uh, uh, he gets an a, a, a extremely easy basket. And this is the 1920 season, so this is the year after the Nuggets got to the second round in the 2018-19 season so the Nuggets were having something to prove but this is early in the year and Embiid, by the time you get to the end of the third quarter one thing you started seeing from him is that his defense declined his defense got really, in fact, really bad and what you have seen from Embiid in the playoffs what you have seen from Embiid from his very few times he's been to the state of Colorado is exhaustion when Embiid gets exhausted he starts committing turnovers And in that game, uh, Nimbied had eight turnovers, and I believe mm, the majority of them came in the second half. See, the Sixers had built a lead largely, and I was at this game, um, largely due to three-point shots. Uh, There was a point in the second quarter where Furkan Korkmaz was kept hitting hitting threes. It was one of those games. Uh, Brett Brown was still the coach of the uh, Sixers and uh it was it was it was interesting to watch them continue to hit these threes and by the time you get to the end of the third quarter they were up by like 20 21 and then came into the fourth quarter leading by 19 and i think the nuggets outscored them by what 22 20 or something like that. uh in the in the second in the in the fourth quarter but you could see them kind of lose, losing a little bit of steam by the end of the third quarter. And they get into the fourth quarter. They build the lead back up to 21, I think. But the Nuggets just proceed to reel them in methodically. In the, and and what was happening is Embiid, in his two stints in the fourth quarter, was not running out. And Jokic hit two threes. Embiid didn't even bother to go out and cover him. He just was kind of put up his hand uh, about, you know, I don't know, five, ten feet away. Um... There were two drives by Jamal Murray where he just blew right by Embiid, just right by him. You could tell that he hit his wall. He hit the altitude wall. I mean, it was it was clear as day what happened. He hit the altitude wall, scored four points in the fourth quarter. One of them was on basically a concession basket, uh, really late. Not a concession basket, but it was a it was a drive. Uh, really, really late. I think it was like two minutes remaining or something like that. It wasn't concession because the game was still in balance here. Jokic ends up hitting that game-winning shot over him, and then Embiid commits a foul, offensive foul, on the ensuing attempt to get a, a, bas- a basket at the at the at the rim. And a lot of it were mental mistakes due to being tired. You could tell. I've seen this before with Embiid, and it was in that that deciding game against the Atlanta Hawks in 2021, where Embiid just started making terrible decisions, and he had played a lot of that game in the in game seven, and you could tell he just wasn't he wasn't mentally there because he just looked tired. Then, you know, I love Gallo, but Danilo Gallinari got a big time steal against uh Joel Embiid and that shouldn't happen if you're Joel Embiid. I'm mean, I'm sorry, I love you Gallo, but that, that that should not that should not have happened. Very similar to the Nuggets game in 2019. I think he doesn't he he I think Embiid and his last, you know, one year we can forgive him because he had covid, all right? But particularly last year and this year you can tell that if he doesn't have to play in Denver, he won't. And that's a difference between a lot of the takes that we have seen. If it's not essential, he's not going to play here. I just don't think he likes playing in Denver. He doesn't, he doesn't like the altitude effects. And no, I mean, look, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon used to have an oxygen tank uh, next to him on the bench. Larry Bird would often talk about how difficult it was to play in Denver. Spoke about it all the time. The, the the Celtics of the '80s had a terrible Denver Denver record. Um, it, he's not the first person. Isaiah Thomas didn't like coming in here. There are just there's just it's it's the factor of the altitude and some players just don't like playing at altitude and that's perfectly fine. You don't have to play at altitude. You know you don't. I you I mean you do have to play at altitude because people have to play here. But I mean. You don't play here all the time. It's okay to be someone who gets affected by it. Um, Embiid has played three times in Utah, um, but the least he's played in a in a city is in Denver. It's it's indisputable, and I don't think when we look at this, it, it is. I think we get we go too far. Jokic has nothing to do with this. I, we we. We're doing ourselves a disservice as Nuggets fans by attributing this to Jokic. It is simply, if Embiid can, doesn't need to play in Denver, he won't. And you can draw your own conclusions. I mean, this is, this is based on all the evidence. I mean, having basically, this is his. Uh, he's played Denver nine times, and two of which have been in in Denver in in the in the city you, you don't need to have you, you don't need to be able to read tea leaves to understand that he doesn't like playing in the in denver um he's been injured at a couple times and i will forgive him for a lot of the early part of his career because the early part of his career there was a lot of load management going on the interesting thing about this is like he has never played in the three in the three games he's played in Denver from the Kansas game and the two games he played with the Sixers in Denver. He's never played more than 28 minutes. And in game in the game uh, in 2019, he was exhausted by the time he got to the end of it. Exhausted. Exhausted. I'm just saying, folks. That's probably it's simple as it is simple as. And if he doesn't need to plan, and let's face it, folks, the Sixers didn't need to be win in Denver. Otherwise, they would have played Maxi and uh, Tobias Harris. Okay, this wasn't going to factor into their records. It's part of the their non-conference stuff isn't as weighted as much as the conference stuff. It is just the nature of cross-conference matchups. It is in January. If this game was at the end of the year, uh, in March, April, and the receding involved, you'd probably see him come in. If it's right at the beginning of the year, you'd probably see him come in. Right here in this time, in January going into February, he's going to choose not to. Now, one little thing I mean, you to point out about the, uh, the injury report. Rabona Shelburne came on ESPN and said that he, Joel himself insisted on not being on the injure, injury report, despite the fact that he was clearly injured in uh, Indiana. Um, I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know for 100% certain. Uh, I don't think the player controls that. Yeah, a guy can be on the injury report for any reason. Um, this is done not for the player purposes. This is done for team and intra-NBA and NBA purposes, plus, obviously, gambling. Um, And so the player doesn't necessarily control that sort of thing. I don't know why Ramona Shelburne said that. Um, There was some defense of Joel Embiid going on. Um, I don't think that was necessary. You could just say that he was hurting and the Sixers made a mistake. And that's all you needed to say. Uh, You you just, Joel Embiid does not need that. Um, The Nuggets were clearly miffed by it. They played and planned as if Joel Embiid was playing because he wasn't on the injury report. And there was tweets coming out from Ramon Shilbert saying that he's not listed on the injury report. And I think everyone went into this game thinking he was going to play. And that was the big problem. And that's why there was such kerfuffle over this. Plus of his history with not playing at Denver. So you add all that and you got the outroar that there was. And everyone's gonna forget this. No one's gonna remember this. No one's gonna remember this. And I think I think it'll come back to next year. And if he misses again, it'll get the same kind of controversy. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And Jokic is right. He's a good player. It does, it, I mean, this is it. It sucks for the people who bought tickets, and I think those are the people who are really hurting this. But I think that uh, in the grand scheme of things, if the Nuggets win another title, who who the fuck cares, right? Seriously, who cares? I think we need to stop devoting so much brain power to Joel beat. I wasted far too much of it in uh, this last week while I was sick, so I'm not going to do that again. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest more cast. I'm going to be back here, well, soon with another episode. Goodbye.